G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I sat across from the woman who managed the minimum security place one day. And as she was looking at me and asking questions and ticking boxes, I realised she couldn't see me. I was invisible. I didn't fit into her boxes. And that was frightening. The dehumanising, no longer being a citizen, no longer being a person, that probably had more effect on me than anything else. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Trish Jenkins, author of the book Treasures of Darkness, A Prison Journey. As we heard last time, her life was originally one of good fortune. She was involved in her church and she and her husband had made several successful real estate investments. But wanting to expand her family's cash flow, she began to invest with and later work for a currency trader who unfortunately turned out to be a con man. In the midst of it all, she says she caved under pressure and made an unwise decision, a compromise which breached the Corporations Act and landed her in jail. Suddenly, her ideal life was shattered when her family lost everything and she was sentenced to eight months in prison. We pick up from where we left off last, as she is just beginning to get settled into prison life, and the reality of it all begins to sink in. I was one of them. I was prisoner DL4257, and I had to be buzzed through the gate like everybody else, you know, buzzed through doorways to to be allowed somewhere. Yeah, it sounds like a very humbling experience. (laughs) Humbling is a word. Um, But what I discovered when I went in, As I got to know these women, I started to see past what they looked like and the language that they used, the foul language and and their, their limitations and aggression. And God showed me how he saw them, that they were his kids and they were broken and needed him. And my heart turned inside out. Hmm. You know, and at first I just wanted to save everybody. I just talked to them about Jesus, that I became a pain in the neck. And um, one prison chaplain said she was worried about me, that I might come to a violent end uh, because, you know, some people blame oh, God really? for the <laughs> Yeah, well, you've got people who've had such broken lives and they blame God for it and, you know, you can understand that. You know, how did he let this happen kind of thing? And so they yeah, hate someone yeah. who represents him. But after a while I started to build relationships with these people and I realised, you know what? They're not monsters. They are people who have had different circumstances in life. And I know we can't blame circumstances, but by golly, if I had grown up, you know, being raped and molested from the time I was a toddler and and had Mm. cigarette butts put out on me and not been able to learn anything at school because I'm so traumatised and can't tell anyone, I don't know how I would have turned out. I might have ended up Mm. in jail too. Oh, hang on, I did. (laughs) (laughs) it can happen to anybody Mm. you just don't know now i'm just trying to put myself in your situation Mm. with all these uh colorful characters as you're mentioning Mm. did you feel safe you know i did i i felt the presence of god around me i know it sounds weird um, the fear that I felt was before I went in, you know, the, the fear of the unknown 
is, yeah. is actually much greater than when you actually can see what you're dealing with. And I, I never felt afraid except for whenever I might have been summoned to an office for administration because you never knew what that was going to be about, whether you were going to be transferred or whether you'd breached something. And um, it was very that was very stressful. But within around these women, you realise that they are just human beings like anybody else mm-hmm. in need of love and encouragement, a need for significance. So, yeah, I, I never – and women's prisons are not quite as – they're not violent like men's are, but, but I tell you what, if someone wants to stab you in the back, you'll end up on your face. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So you go in – everybody's in general together until you're mm-hmm. assessed, and the assessment is yeah. supposed to take a couple of weeks. Um, in my case, it took a couple of months. Um, it's, it's not a customer service industry, so you sort of have to wait your turn. And eventually I was moved to a minimum security place, but I also had the privilege of spending some time in a block that uh, you'll read about it in my book where uh, I went from the minimum security place where you wear your own clothes and there's no barbed wire and you actually do volunteer work in the community. And I ended up going back to the prison to... Okay, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not particularly proud of this, but there was a girl who particularly annoyed me and uh, I was at my wit's end and I, I'm not Mother Teresa. I, I used my gifts for evil instead of good and uh, she was annoying me so much that um, I let her hear me praying under my breath nearby, but I did it to freak her out, not because I was praying for her. And, uh, you know, she's like, what are you doing? Well, stop. Really freaked her out and that was my intention, so I'm, I have to own that. And so she ran away and dobbed on me to the um, to the officers. And so that was one thing. But then I turned it into a funny story in one of my letters. And, of course, they read all the letters and they said, look, you know, you deliberately provoked someone, so we're kicking you out. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm trying to be a model prisoner and I get kicked out of minimum. And uh, <laughs> I got – it was – Oh, wow. I know, I know. I'm so embarrassed about it because I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be this – you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be a model prisoner, but I kept messing things up. So you were praying but not – with love in your heart, is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. That's, that's exactly uh, so, what so, I was so saying. I, I had never heard of praying for evil purposes, but <laughs> I guess I guess in certain circumstances it, it could happen. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not, uh, you know, like yeah, I said, I'm well, not Mother Teresa. We, I think we can all uh, relate to being pushed to your limit. Yeah, but I, I had to be honest about it. And, it, and it's funny because... Um, other people in prison would seek me out for me to pray for them. And, in fact, the Indigenous mm. girls, uh, they are particularly sensitive to spiritual matters and, and uh, I, I often prayed with them with good intentions, you know, with because mm-hmm. uh, so, a lot of them have got connections to churches. So you were kind of known as the Christian lady? Yeah, and, and I got sent to S1, which is the, the punishment. Uh, it's not quite what the Americans would call the whole. It's not solitary. But it's where, um, you know, the recalcitrants are sent. And uh, so I was there with the bad girls of the prison. And, and it was actually a relief to me because they couldn't believe I was there. And uh, it, was, it was... Well, wait a second. The Christian lady's in here with us. Is that kind of their reaction? That's exactly what it was. And one of the girls recognized <laughs> me and she said, what are you doing? Actually, she said, what the bleep, bleep, bleep are you doing here? And, and I said, oh, I was bad. And, and uh, because she knew me, she kind of took me under her wing and... And uh, you'll read about it in the book. It's it's, it's yeah. actually quite now, funny. Now, let me see if I'm following all this. So you started off 
in with the hardened criminals because that's where everybody goes. Then you were eventually transferred to a place where you had more freedom. You could wear your own clothes. But then, as you just mentioned, you provoked somebody, which is against the rules. (laughs) So then you were sentenced to a place to punish you. So you're back in with the more hardened criminals who (laughs) couldn't believe they were seeing the Christian lady in with the hardened criminals like themselves. Is that about it? Uh, Yeah, when you put it like that, I don't sound real... uh... <laughs> but it, it, it is what it is. I mean, it was at the minimum place. It is place. what it is. Yeah, it was at the minimum place where my family visited me and the children saw me. And, and so it really broke my heart to have stuffed it there mm. because I did not want them coming to where yeah. I was going to be. And, and they didn't. I, I didn't let them come there because I thought what they would encounter with the dogs and the razor wire and the filthy language and the, and the frightening looking people, I, I just didn't want those pictures in their head yeah. and giving them nightmares and so on. I don't know whether that was the right thing to do. Maybe they should have had more access to me, but I just didn't yeah. want to risk it. Do you think this whole experience traumatized you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was very damaging and, you know, corrective services is quite sensitive to any kind of criticism. Look, they do their best. They do as much as they can with what they're dealing with. Um, and there were programs, you know, you could learn things and do a, you know, a certificate to in whatever. And, and I tried, you know, I, I signed up for whatever courses there were, even though I'm already tertiary educated. Um, they do their best, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you, these people are, you've got broken people managing a broken system full of broken people. So, you know, the, the, the best thing about prison is the chaplaincy service, that, that you've got mm-hmm. volunteers and chaplains who would come in and they cared. And it's like mm-hmm. water on a desert. And so... Yeah, you know, just just talking to somebody who actually cares about your well-being. Well, that's right. And, you know, when you when I prayed and, you know, God did show up because my prayers would get answered. You know, people would get parole. Now, a few months later, they might be back again, but, hey, they still got it. You know, and, and the stories that they had were heartbreaking. And, and I led a lot of women to Jesus. And I, I, I didn't keep track but I probably led 30 women to the Lord oh, and wow. prayed for a whole lot more. You know, my, my heart is to bring people to Jesus because he just, well, because of salvation. But in addition to that, just knowing him, the more you get to know him, you know, the, the better your life is. You, you've got access to having him in your life just makes things so much better. So it sounds like uh, an unintended consequence of this whole experience was having a much deeper relationship with the Lord. Yes, and it changed my perspective of other people. You know, God showed me how to, like it was hard. You know, people talk about how to forgive, and Mm. they'll say, oh, you've just got to do it over and over. Oh, you've just got to keep saying it. Oh, this, just that. You know, I said to God, I'm not satisfied with choosing to forgive and still feeling the pain. That's not healing. Jesus said, you'll be free indeed. I didn't just want to be free. I wanted to be free indeed. And so, mm. you know, I, I had plenty of practice at forgiving and keeping my heart clear. And that's, you know, if people people justify all sorts of decisions they make, whether it's to leave a church or, or you know, leave a relationship or whatever it might be, but when you're honest with your heart and you deal with it, then you've got to keep a clear heart. And God showed me how to do that out of Matthew which is to do with, you know, loving your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. You know how hard that is in prison and and praying for them. You know, there was one officer who was so nasty. He was just so nasty that um, I was just spitting with anger. And God told me, you've got to pray for this man. And 
you know, I just had to do it purely out of obedience and I prayed for him, for his relationship, for his finances, for his job. for. And as I prayed, I started to see a picture of his life and I started to feel compassion for him because he was trapped in his nastiness and the consequences of that. And God showed me how to pray for him and I asked him to show me the situation and show me me in this. And I actually do a whole workshop on this. When I, when I minister at churches... Um, no one wants to come to a, a workshop called How to Forgive. I mean, that's just boring. But if I were to mm. say how to get revenge on the devil and take back what he's stolen. Oh, that's sounding good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. There's, there's all that stuff going on. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again having a chat with Trish Jenkins, author of the book Treasures of Darkness, A Prison Journey. We've been finding out about her time inside prison after she was sentenced to eight months for violating the Corporations Act. Next, we'll find out about her life after prison and how she's now helping others, teaching them the lessons she's learned from her experiences. Also, we'll chat with her daughter, Chelsea, and find out how this all impacted her life. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo having a chat with author and speaker Trish Jenkins. Her book is called Treasures of Darkness, A Prison Journey. We've been hearing about her time inside prison after she was sentenced to eight months for violating the Corporations Act. Now we're going to find out what life was like for Trish after prison and we'll also hear from her daughter, Chelsea. Look, I I came home and, uh, you know, I was a bit of a mess for a little while because you don't go through a battle without getting a bit battle weary. Uh, someone else might have gone through it a lot better than I did, but that was the journey I was given. So, you know, I, I sought out help. I got counselling. I got there. I got both Christian and um, secular counselling, and was told I had PTSD. And I said, No, no, no. I'm a faith woman. That's not possible. But you know, I, I had to work through that with the Lord. So, what do you think is the main cause of post-traumatic stress disorder in, in your case? Well, it's like when you're in a situation, you're in it. It's like you, you know. It's like a fish doesn't know it's in water. And it was. It felt like I had held my breath for eight months. Yeah. And then when I came home and exhaled, I just broke in pieces. And, mm. and I turned around and looked back and I would, I would remember things that had happened and realise now that I'm with the normal people, the respectable people, I could actually compare and see, man, that was really bad. And some of the things I was exposed to were really inappropriate. So in a nutshell, what would be like the main thing that you, you felt like you were treated like you were worthless or what was the main traumatizing thing? I sat across from the woman who managed the minimum security place one day, very early on, and she's got these papers in front of her. She's ticking boxes. She's asking me questions. And I'm trying to connect and engage with her because I knew my future, my, my time there depended on her favor, on her knowing me, mm-hmm. on knowing where I fit. Mm-hmm. And as she was looking at me and asking questions and ticking boxes, I realized she couldn't see me. I was invisible. I was prisoner DL2547. I didn't fit into her boxes. 
And that was frightening. The dehumanising, no longer being a citizen, no longer being a person, that probably had more effect on me than anything else. Mm-hmm. That official inferiority. She's officially bad. She deserves this. And that was really crippling. And I had to regain that by reminding myself again who I am in Christ and that I have been mm-hmm. redeemed and that I am worthy of love and that Jesus died for me as well. And that's what rebuilt my family, just continually working on that. And also the give back that I was able, when, when people talked to me, I was able to actually encourage them and bring them insights from what I had learned. And that grew into being invited to speak in different places, both secular and Christian, to minister to people out of that pain, but out of the, the turnaround, what Jesus did and, and how the keys that unlocked that pain and, and the resilient faith and staying faithful in God, even in adversity, that what God can do when we press in and we do it with him instead of giving in to that self-pity. You know, and my family, you know, Chelsea's with me today and she's full on for God. It was a tough journey for her, but persisting and praying and seeking help and, you know, reading the books and doing the work, not just talking about it. That's what makes a difference and builds a life. It is so worth sticking in there. Okay, and now you are an author and speaker and sharing the lessons you've learned through this whole experience to people in organizations and groups. And if people want to find out more information, your website is trishjenkinsfaith.com. That's trishjenkinsfaith.com. And at this point in our conversation, we want to invite your daughter to share about what her experiences were like through all of this. Welcome to the program, Chelsea Jenkins. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you with us, and your mother's been sharing about her uh, very, very interesting experience in prison. Now, you were 10 years old when she was sentenced. Can you kind of go back? Yeah, it was, yeah, almost a decade ago. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, very... Yeah, what were you thinking? What was I thinking? Um, quite a lot of things, actually. Thinking of, like, ways that we could, like, you know, try and spin it so that way, like, she doesn't end up going. Um, what I feel like, what am I going to do with, like, foreseen Olivia, my sister's? Um, kind of piecing together, oh, this is the reason that we ended up leaving our home in Brisbane and living in Kabulcha kind of thing, and realizing like my whole life had turned around because of it as well. Yeah, because you guys lost your home and everything as well. Yeah, we lost absolutely everything. So we ended up living with my grandparents, which was a bit of a twist, which was good in a way because you had people there if you needed. But yeah, it was um, very um, confronting, just kind of a lot of new changes happening as well. Like I had to like move house, my mom's going to prison, start a new school, make all nif- different new friends, didn't know a single person up there. Um, so quite a lot of change for a 10-year-old to have to deal with. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's definitely not a topic I ever brought up. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, did people tease you? Hey, your mother's in prison or anything like that? Um, no one knew for quite a long time. We actually kept it from my sisters for about, was it like five months? four months and then my cousin accidentally let it slip and I almost killed him literally (laughs) not joking (laughs) um yeah because I was like very protective of them so um not a lot of people knew for quite a while I think it was probably about six or seven months into it that's when my best friend I like ended up talking to her about it and she didn't tell anyone which was awesome so not a lot of people knew yeah so yeah it was like I had like a lot of support with friends and stuff which was really good um, and church supported quite a bit as well, but it did deeply like affect me. I didn't realize how much because I was very closed off person when it came to like 
emotions and feelings. Like I had this tendency where I could pretend to be vulnerable with people and actually just not have any vulnerability there at all. Just kind of faking it. Yeah, very much so. Like faking that I was okay. Um, almost like lying to myself because I feel like if I had admitted it, it was more real. It was almost like the rug had been swept out underneath you kind of thing. But if I could just float while I was falling, then it just wouldn't, like the crash landing wouldn't happen. Um, mm, so that was kind of your coping strategy. Yeah, it was definitely a coping strategy. One of my defense mechanisms in- initially is to just like walls up, block people out. And um, yeah, yeah, it was very interesting because I didn't realize that if I can't be vulnerable with myself, how can I be vulnerable with God and actually allow him to like really get into those deep areas that were very yeah. um, traumatizing and hurting. And so I did walk away from the Lord in my high school years. So based on everything that you're telling me here, it would be very understandable if you just kind of turned bitter and away from the Lord said, hey, how could you have let all this happen to my family, to my mom? But yet you have a good relationship with your mother and you have a good relationship with the Lord. Yeah. What happened? Um, I don't think I ever grew bitter towards God per se because I kind of knew that God was really all loving and I knew the difference between like, well, we're in a fallen world and that's because of like the fall and like Satan literally comes to steal, kill and destroy. So all my blame kind of went on Satan, (laughs) which was kind of a good thing. Um, But I definitely grew bitter towards religion and the church and people who would just try and like fix me. All I could see was that there was pride there and they just wanted to have the testimony of saying, oh, we just helped this person instead of actually being genuinely caring. So I just didn't want to borrow mm-hmm. yep. it <laughs> yep. for so long. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, I did. I was, mum and I like had a massive rough patch for quite a long time. I don't think we really fully patched our relationship until I did come back to mm-hmm. the Lord. Like it was almost like, yeah, I lost mum for eight months. And then when she came back, you know, all the PTSD kind of thing, it was like I never really got her back. Mm. And she was like diving into like, you know, her work with her books and um, there was a point where she was like, let's do homeschooling because she thought it would be a good bonding experience, but we never actually spent like time. It's like you're being like together, but you're not actually together, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so she'd yeah. be doing her work, I'd be doing mine, and there was just like, it was just too much. So we clashed quite a lot, especially because we're both like very dominant personalities. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I did end up going on like a bit of a wild streak and mum just like never let go as well in the fact that like she would constantly encourage me to just keep going to church or like being with the Lord. And I ended up going to like a young adult conference and giving my heart back to God at City Point, which was awesome. And then having genuine people come around my life who actually knew freedom. So I had a really awesome mentor, Kelly, who I actually opened up a lot about my issues and stuff with. And she constantly was just like speaking truth into me. And a lot of healing came from that, which was really awesome And then, um, yeah, starting to open up to more people about, like, this is what I went through, but it's not defining me. It's like I'm defined Mm -hmm. by Christ alone, not my circumstance. So it's like the Mm -hmm. truth of the gospel is the truth of the gospel, despite what we see. So it's like a lot of what happened with mom, it's like, yeah, my experience can say that I'm going to go in one direction and just completely break down and, like, do all this crazy stuff, which I did end up doing. But as soon as I like knew the truth about Jesus and what he had done for me, it changed my entire life and brought like complete healing. There's like no bitterness there anymore. I had so much bitterness towards authority because I just thought, oh, they're just all like crazy. But then there was like a lot of like actually respect and love and honor for them now because, Hmm. you know, like no authority has been given except given by God kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really amazed hearing you share 
how God has done such a wonderful work in healing you、mm. emotionally. Yeah, and, I think, and, and just knowing that you have a heavenly Father who loves you no matter what has got to be comforting. Yeah, it definitely is. When we can really allow us, like God, to get into the messiness and actually admit, like, hey, there's stuff going on, because I think a lot of the times we almost want to put up this front that we don't have anything wrong, and instead of like dealing with stuff that we're going through and getting free from it, we'll just almost put like a grace cover over it and like try to walk with that point. But there is like a lot of healing with God, and it's been like empowering ever since. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's just wonderful that the two of you have a good relationship. Yeah, mother and daughter. That relationship has healed. And are you proud of your mother speaking and telling about her experiences to others? Absolutely, so proud of her. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing, Chelsea Jenkins. That's so good. Thanks so much for having me. Our guests today have been author and speaker Trish Jenkins, and what a treat it was to also hear from her daughter Chelsea. As she shared, it was not easy having a mother in jail, and she went through a rebellious period. But she's now back to having a strong relationship with the Lord, and her relationship with the mother is back on track again as well. It's great to see how God can heal seemingly hopeless situations and restore lives and relationships. If you would like to learn more about Trish Jenkins' experiences and the lessons she's learned, you can read about it all in her book Treasures of Darkness. A prison journey. To find out more about her speaking appearances, you can go to her website, trishjenkinsfaith.com. That's trishjenkinsfaith.com. I think the title of her homepage really sums it up well for a journey she's been on. It says, "From prison to pulpit, evangelist Trish Jenkins ministers freedom, victory, and revival." Well, thanks for joining us for Trish and Chelsea's amazing stories. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on the story, I remember being over there and literally walking through this rubbish dump. I mean, a real rubbish dump. It's like smoking molds of rubbish, and, and amongst all this smoke and this mess and this stench, little children walking around with barely any clothing on,、mm. uh, scavenging food. And when you see that, and you come face to face with that, you're really challenged by it. David Leslie was a successful businessman when God changed his life forever. Since then, he's developed a heart for evangelism in Africa. We'll find out the remarkable way the Lord is using him to further His kingdom next time. The story, the story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.